This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Play the play on the show. Well, your Mariners returned home from a road trip in which they won six of the eight games they played while somehow still giving up more runs than they scored, which makes it about par for the course. And it's Danny and Gallant this morning. It's Wednesday. It is August 25th. And before they made that return flight home, Scott's service made a comment that I would just like to, I, I, I'd, I'd like to frame it. Okay. I, I would like to frame. And, and the problem is you can't frame it exactly the way he says it. But it is so endearingly dorky and so emblematic of this entire season. If there is one thing that captures my enthusiasm about this team right now, it is the idea of fun differential. Oh, boy. Forget your run differential. Let's get fun differential. Here's the skipper, Scott Service. You know, heck of a trip. We go 6-2. and two. Uh, I say all that. Somebody just told me our run differential was minus 9 in this trip. But our fun differential was about plus 90. So we're going with that. And we're going to ride that one a little bit. So uh, uh, great trip. Well needed uh, day off. To kind of reset our bullpen and we get back home and get after it there. So, you know, that's winning. right. Plus 90 fun differential. Let's go. They're winning. So you get to have your, your fun your differential. Fun Say, with it. Funds. Say it. Fun differential. What was their fun differential on this trip? It was plus 90. Heck yeah, it was. (laughs) Eat it, Oakland. (laughs) Now that I can get behind. Wow. It's really incredible what they've done against Oakland this year. I mean, Oakland's supposed to be good, Danny. They're 8-4 and instead against Oakland. And this two-game sweep, especially on the heels of a series in Houston that definitely – changed the run differential not fun differential this was quite the impressive bounce back it's great they won six eight games on this trip man they come back home the schedule gets lightened up meanwhile the yankees are traveling to oakland to play four games against the a's you're you're guaranteed you're guaranteed an opportunity to make up ground on somebody you're chasing while you 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 play the royals and i'm not getting too far ahead of myself look Dude, they're playing their self into a short season in which it's going to be anybody's ball game. They they are they are not just hanging with this pack as they reach the closing stretch. They're making up ground. They're a game back of the A's. They're they're three games right now back of the Red Sox, who right now are are a, the team that they're chasing for that second wild card spot. This is awesome. It's good that they are hot because a lot of these other teams aren't. New York is, which is good. Houston cooled off a little bit. And you actually saw the effects of that cool off because Kansas City was pretty respectable in that series that they're coming off of against Houston. But to be hot at this point, it's wonderful. It's just a matter of how do you find a way to fan the flames. And it helps to have more random contributors doing things like Luis Torrens, who did this in the third inning. Here's a 2-1 pitch. Breaking ball hit the other way. Base hit right field. Seager walks home. Bobbled out there by Canna. The second runner. That's Toro. He comes around to score. And Luis Torrens gets the job done. A two-run single. And the Mariners have a 3-1 lead. Third inning. And it all happens with two outs. They end up 
even adding a little bit cushion, a little bit of cushion later in the game. Look, there, there's not a lot of things that make sense about this Mariners team. Not in terms of their worst league worst batting average. The fact they have the third most strikeouts. The fact that they have a winning run, to, winning record despite giving up more runs than they've scored. But the fun differential, if that's what you're going to call it. The one thing that makes sense is that the manager has his finger on the pulse of this team, and he's been able to ride some waves and get, and at the very least, be part of a team that has steadied itself after several different turbulent patches, first because of injuries and then because of a trade. And because of embarrassing insults from Kevin Mather and helping elite prospects getting out of slumps, whether it's the most recent 0 for 21 or it's the one that saw him actually sent down to AAA, and they are finagling enough runs out of a pedestrian lineup. All the while, he is doing a pretty good job with the bullpen. So that's Scott's service. Oh, guess what? Jerry DePoto acquired Ty France within the past calendar year, Chris Flexen from Korea, Abraham Toro, and he has transformed Seattle's farm system into the league's best. Danny, in a world where the Mariners are 11 games over 500, 8-4 against the A's, Six and one against the defending American League champion Rays. Four and two against Toronto. Two and one against the White Sox. Two and one against the Giants. One game out of second place. Three games out of the wild card. Why are Scott Service and Jerry Depoto not extended? Why? I mean, at what, what point? Are you waiting for, huh? Yeah. What are you waiting for? Thank you very much, Jennifer Love Hewitt from the movie I Know What You Did last summer. I know what they need to do this summer. Sign them. Get it done, right? I mean, at at, at this point. If there's a holdup, then I just can't figure out what it would be. Well, let me start off by saying that I will be very disappointed if they're both not back. Agreed. I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be really disappointed. I hesitate to get too adamant about, hey, get it done right now, because there are possibilities. There are things we don't know, right? There, there are things. Is it? It would it be a holdup if the manager is looking for a significant raise? It shouldn't be. He's been here six years. Like he's certainly shown his ability to manage two dramatically different styles of teams. But that's one of the factors. The, the Mariners have. Scott Service has not been one of the highest paid managers in the league, and the past couple of managers that they've had have not ranked up there among the highest paid managers in the league. So that that's a potential. You also can't finish one without the other, right? Like, you can't extend Jerry DePoto and not extend Scott Service. So it's possible It's possible one of these deals is done, and they're waiting to announce it until the other one gets done. That makes sense. Uh, and that that's probably the way that it would get done, too. Probably DePoto first and, and then Scott Service afterwards. I really hope that they are paying these guys, ultimately, too, a salary that is competitive with other managers and other general managers across baseball because, you know, we've heard from this team straight from the horse's mouth, Kevin Mather, that this team has made a lot of money through the TV network that it has. So, and I think it's fair to say that this is a team that is not cash-strapped, that they should have the ability to pay a manager or a general manager along the same lines as guys that you see across the league. So I, I, I hope that that is not a holdup right now because that would be tremendously disappointing. I think that Scott Service has managed his way, and what he's done in his time here merits a race. I, I, he's gotten I, better I at his job, that. right? You well, laid it out earlier sh- in the in the week. Look, he got hired. He had not been a field manager before. There was a little bit of uncertainty that was there, and he has been first been given a veteran team to manage, 
And now he's been sort of charged with overseeing a rebuilding process. I think he's shown a great deal of flexibility there. Here's the other part, and this is a little bit where I don't want to read too much into the timing because the when they extended Scott and Jerry three years ago, they did it in the midst of a season in which the bottom kind of fell out. It looked like they were contending. They were in position to win a wild card spot. Robinson Cano came back from suspension, and things went sideways. And it wasn't, they still finished with the winning record, but they didn't make the playoffs. And that offseason is when they decided to rebuild. So it was this, it set up this weird, where they got to the end of the season, and they're like, hey, we already extended the two guys that we've got in charge of this thing, and now we're going to change direction. Now, all of it turns out, everything that's happened since then tells you you've got the right guys in charge. But I don't want to get upset about the timing when the big factor, what I care about is the fact that both those two guys are back next year. So the fact that it hasn't happened yet, it, it's, got, it's got my eyebrow raised. But I don't want it to be like, oh my, I just want it done. And I, I'm not particularly adamant about the timing of it getting done. It just needs to get done. That's fair. I want it done now. Do it now. Just get it done. Get it over with. It, it, it I feel like just shows you that you are keeping this thing together. You know you're heading in the right direction. Maybe this isn't something that would be thrilling Depoto extension to some people in the clubhouse, but whatever the case, service would. Don't you think that this team would really love to see this guy and his fun differential get that well deserved fun raise? differential? It might make it even more fun. You might be plus ninety three in fun differential. Yeah, maybe plus a hundred. Let's do that. It's Danny Gallant. Let's get to front page news. This, this is the front page brought to you by Dubin Law Group. Today's top two stories and why they matter every morning at 710. Get what you need to know to start your day right now. Yesterday, we talked about the injuries that the Los Angeles Rams have at running back. This morning, they traded for a running back. They get New England Patriot 2018 first round pick Sony Michelle out of a crowded New England depth chart. A guy who was taken just a couple of picks ahead of Rashad Penny in 2018. The cost is a fifth rounder and a sixth rounder, but it will convert to a fourth rounder when the Rams end up getting a compensatory pick for losses in free agency this offseason. I think specifically John Johnson is the one that they think it'll turn into a fourth round pick for. So should this make Seattle fans feel better and that they weren't the only team that selected a running back who hasn't quite played up to expectations? I think so. If you look at that draft, there were a lot of running backs taken. And outside of, to this point, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, and Naheem Hines in the fourth round, most of the guys have been okay. I don't think any of them have been catastrophically bad, but it is a total crapshoot in the draft at any position. Running back, Especially running back. I think, though, Danny, that... Especially running back. You're more likely in the first round, even if that guy does not go through all five years of the contract, of all the positions in that draft, I think you are likely to find a contributor if you end up selecting a running back in the first round. That does not mean it's necessarily advisable to draft a running back in the first round. That's all I am saying is that... You know, Don't like, draft running backs in the first round. That's what I'm saying. Sony Michelle wasn't bad. Rashad Penny... Just traded him for a fifth and seventh bad. round pick. He's a running back. You had him for four years. The investment was a four-year selection and a guy who's young, talented, and can contribute right away, which he did. We're going to talk about this later, aren't we? Yeah. Don't draft a running back in the first round. Unless he's good. The Front Page. 
If you needed an example of how uh, the new Pac-12 might be the same as the old Pac-12, look no further than yesterday's announcement of the Alliance. The Alliance! What do we call this? So just to get this straight, the SEC goes and pulls a coup where they get the two two best, the two most high-profile members of the Big 12 in Oklahoma and Texas. Pirates them away is going to have a new media rights deal with ESPN that has everybody in college football worried that everybody else is playing for second place, that that's what's really going to matter. That's where all the money's going to end up. That's where all the best players will end up and that the, the SEC championship game will be a de facto national championship. And in response, three of the other big five conferences get together and come up with a gentleman's agreement to have uh, two weeks of scheduling opportunities going forward and and they don't sign anything and they call it the alliance. What a colossal, colossal waste of everyone's time. Boo. Somebody should have in that room said, guys, we're going to look really corny if we do this. Just shut up. Don't say anything. There's nothing to stop you from going and scheduling these games and not making some big hullabaloo and looking like a horse is behind, which is exactly what the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 do right now. A bunch of talk with absolutely nothing signed. Remember the, uh, what was it, the American Football Alliance? <laughs> Anything that's titled Alliance of American Football. Yeah, that's it. It just sounds so pretentious when you well, say something Alliance, like this. The Rebel Alliance worked out okay. Yeah, but uh, did it? Though, I mean, yeah. we, we saw them Blood win the, the war. the Death Star twice. Right, but I mean, what happened? Like, how were, what were their governmental policies? You know, like, did, did the Republic actually, you know, keep the entire galaxy intact? What do you call this? Is this the big pack, like with two C's, so it's like thick? At the end? Packed tent. <laughs> I, I, have, I have no idea. You know what? I like that. It's, it's, it's giant farce is what it is. <laughs> it's, it's like, hey, everybody, don't forget about us. And it's like, well, you know what? If you're going to call a press conference, you should actually have done something. You didn't do anything. You, didn't, you shook hands on an agreement to play each other, which, by the way, a lot of these teams are already doing. Next year, this year, Washington plays Michigan. Next year, Washington plays Michigan State. couple years, I think 2024, 2025, they play Ohio State. Yeah, that, that's already the alliance has already been done in that regard. Lame. Well, maybe they could have an alliance, or excuse me, an uh, uh, announcement saying, well, Larry Scott, he's still gone. Guys, it's only uphill from here. It, it, that that would have been better received than what they did. <laughs> that is front page news. Let's get the professor in here. John Clayton joining us for the morning drive. John Clayton's morning drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything NFL, NFL from the professor John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's morning drive with Danny and Gallant. Uh! Professor, we just saw Sony Michelle shift from New England to the Los Angeles Rams. What do you think about first round picks and using them on running backs it depends on who you know the, the year of the running back because again there's some running backs that are good enough to be able to be successful i mean this year looks like Najee harris for the pittsburgh steelers is going to be a very good one and so it's like a, he was worth a first round pick but in a lot of years and particularly if you're taking a running back after 22 you know if you're a playoff type of team it's almost uh because you get a second round grade it may be better to wait till the second round to get something like for javante williams you know this year you know, going to Denver looks great. 
But again, they took him in the second round. They traded up to get him. But uh, I mean, you know, it's it's probably better because again, you have five main positions in this league, and running back isn't that one, even though it's important to have a running game. But you need a cornerback, a wide receiver, a left tackle who can block the defensive end, and a quarterback. Those are the five main positions. And if that's the case, those are the preferences for the first round. But again, there's going to be running backs that are going to be good. And if they are, then you take them. But for the most part, in a lot of years, if you reach for one, it's not going to work out necessarily. All right, John. One of the reasons that running backs can be a risk is because of injury, which is what the Jacksonville Jaguars are finding out. Travis Etienne, Mm -hmm. uh, rookie running back out of Clemson, he's, he's lost for the year. Yeah, and again, and this is just, you know, you know how I feel about Urban Meyer, that any college coach who has no NFL experience doesn't know what he's doing, right? And, uh, you know, because, and even, it was interesting because on Monday, I think at a press conference, uh, you know, Urban even said, well, there's a lot of things I don't know about the National Football League. Well, duh, taking a running back after you have a running back last year who was undrafted. Gained over a thousand yards in James Robinson, and then was able to be voted 100 on the NFL 100 list for the NFL Network. And you take a running back, and then you come back and you go to training camp and you say, "Yeah, well, maybe we'll play him at wide receiver." It was just stupid. That's a classic example. And again, he was taken in in the 20s. It was a bad move. And so now he gets a Liz Frank injury, and he's going to be out for the season. So it's like, hey, way to go, Urban! You really got that team going in a good direction. What should he have done there? What's that? What taking a player. Taking take you know, take an offensive lineman. He should have taken. Okay, that's what I figured. Offensive lineman is probably the direction. Yeah, that now again, remember, it's like you look at Chicago and how bad their offensive line is. Uh, that's why they can't play uh, Justin Fields at the beginning of the season because they don't have any tackles. But it's like uh, taking. And, but, you know, Jacksonville at least has a better offensive line. But here it is. I mean, Urban Meyer hasn't even made an announcement whether Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starting quarterback. I mean, it's going to be, well, it's either going to be Gardner Minshew or it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. And then on top of it, you've got so many people right now complaining about the offensive coordination that Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer have and how Trevor Lawrence doesn't fit in their offense. I mean, it's a disaster. John, the other guy, uh, uh, Makai Becton, mm-hmm. who is left tackle with the New York Jets, he came into camp, and people were talking here about him being heavy and thinking yeah. that he – and he's been a huge guy forever. Uh, he left practice with an injury. That was a guy that people had pretty high hopes for last year. Things are not progressing well here this season for him. No, and for the Jets. I mean, because, again, I thought that uh, you know the general manager, Joe Douglas, had a good off season. He was able to get Carl Lawson, but, oh, Carl Lawson's out for the yeah. season with a torn Achilles. Then uh, you look at the roster and the only pro bowler that they have, although last year in the 53 man roster, the only pro bowler they had was Frank Gore, who's 85 years old. And now all they have is CJ Mosley. And who knows after he opted out last year, if he's going to get hurt because a lot of the opt outs are having a lot of problems. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a mess and that's why they're not going to be very good. And that offensive line last year, they brought in four new starters uh, and it didn't work out. I mean, you know, like George Fant, as good as he was here in Seattle, I mean, he gets $9 million as the highest paid offensive lineman they signed in free agency, and now he's a backup. So it's like, what are you doing? So it's like the, the Jets are in big trouble, but of course, are we surprised? I mean, the bad teams 
are the bad teams. And they are going to remain the bad teams this year. And when we're talking about the bad teams, we're talking about Detroit. We're talking about Houston, which is just pathetic. The New York Jets, Jacksonville. I mean, they're all going to be bad. Becton left practice for a bit yesterday because he was puking. Yeah. And I guess there's also a head injury or something else that could be in play, too. Oh, they think he has a concussion? Oh, yeah, yeah, so we'll we'll see how that one mm-hmm. goes. But definitely, the, the Jets, it always feels like they are cursed in some way, shape, or form. John, uh, while we talked about Urban Meyer earlier, it seems like another one of our favorite subjects is getting every opportunity. Tim Tebow? Tim no, Tebow? No. no, not Tim Tebow. Oh, but thank you. Taysom Hill is getting first-team reps at practice yesterday after the game that we just saw Jameis Winston play. I really am curious as to how this position battle is going to play out. But even with Winston playing the way that he did on on uh, Monday, you would think that he would have the leg up right now. I, I, I guess Sean Payton might be just trying to hide his hand as best he can. But it, it, Winston's the go-to guy here. Oh, no question. I mean, again, it's like, I mean, first off, say what you want about Jameis Winston. I know that, uh, you know, he auditioned for a 30 for 30 uh, ESPN show by having more than 30 interceptions and 30 touchdown passes. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in the end, I mean, he's the better quarterback because he's a quarterback. I don't know if Taysom Hill's a quarterback. I mean, he's a good football player. He can come off the bench, you know, do different things as far as the run game, but he's not a quarterback. And so I, I don't even think it's close. And so I think that, uh, you know, it's like anything else. I mean, you give veteran rest days and all those different things. Jameis did very well in the game Monday night. Give him a break. Let him come back. But he'll he'll be the starter. John, uh, news in in Buffalo. You had four players who are are kind of in in that Mm COVID-19 where they've tested negative but are are in a five-day timeout waiting waiting to see because they were close contacts. Jerry Jones also came out yesterday and talked about that and made what I considered a fairly strong statement about he felt it was uh, up to players to be good teammates to get vaccinated because that idea of personal preference stops when it starts having an effect on the people around you and that doing the right thing would be to get vaccinated. You can see that teams and specifically even in this case, the owners are trying to put as much pressure as they can on the players to, to get vaccinated. And they should, because again, what ends up happening because now you have a lot of players that have been vaccinated getting positive tests. Now, again, it's not like they're suffering anything other than five day uh, vaccinations, but it's like, because again, it's not like they're having major problems, but it's like, uh, I mean, look, look in Buffalo, you can see that the four that they had there, I think, you know, a classic example is now Cam Newton. I mean, here's Cam Newton who ended up, uh, you know, having because again, he obviously wasn't vaccinated, right? But last year he suffered a bad, and I'm talking about bad positive test for COVID-19. And so it hurt him for about a month to a little bit more than a month uh, after he was you know, on the on the list and it hurt his season. And so now he comes back this year, doesn't get vaccinated and more than likely he goes down to Philly for the scrimmage and the game and he has to fly separately because he's not allowed to fly with the team. He comes back. I don't know if he drove. I don't know what he ended up doing, but it's like uh, he comes back and now has to go to a doctor to get an earlier appointment and he breaks protocol because he has to get tested every day. It's like you're risking your other teammates. You suffered yourself last year and you didn't learn from it. Again, Jerry Jones and the NFL is right. Just get vaccinated. It's not that hard. He is the professor, John Clayton. John, we always appreciate it. We'll look forward to catching up with you tomorrow. Okay, thanks.
That is John. You can hear him this afternoon, 4 o'clock with Wyman and Bob. You can also follow his work at 710sports.com. All right, we've talked a little bit about fund differential. We're going to switch gears to the Seahawks. Are you buying it? we got some questions about Kerry Hyder, Robert Kimdiche, maybe a little cornerback talk too. That's ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. The Rams trading for Sony Michelle, a 2018 first round pick, 27th, excuse me, 31st overall taken by the New England Patriots, does have me thinking about the 27th pick, Rashad Penny, that the Seattle Seahawks have. Drafting first-round running backs is not always the best endeavor. But I don't think, Danny, it's something that teams should rule out entirely because of the injury risk. To me, I look at those first rookie contracts that these guys get. You're expecting him to play for you for four to five years. Mm -hmm. Does he have to play five-plus? Does he have to play ten? Is is, is that what you're looking for with a first-round pick? You you want to find – you're hoping to find a star with a first-round pick, right? I, I think people's expectations of what is a good first-round pick are too high. I agree. I, I, think, I, think, I think what people – but you want, you want upside there. I don't think you should ever draft a running back in the first round. And if I ran an NFL team, that would basically be one of my rules, that it would take an act of God for, for the team that I ran the draft board of to draft a running back in the first round. And here would be my primary rationale. On the one hand, there is no evidence that points to sort of the transcendent running back being that that, that being a valuable position. That the, the gap between your franchise stable running back, the guy who is the, the gold standard like Adrian Peterson, and the next best guy that you can get at that spot isn't nearly as big as it is at other positions like left tackle, wide receiver, quarterback. The, the second part, and this is probably even more, is that the great running backs, drafting him in the first round doesn't make him any more likely to be great than a running back that you draft in the third or fourth round. It's just as likely to find that great running back later in the draft as it is. It doesn't mean it always happens, and it doesn't mean that, hey, a third-round running back, because more running backs get picked in the third round than, than in the first round, but positional value combined with the, the inherent volatility of the position means that I would pretty much rule it out. Well, here's where I differ on that. So it's more the entire league is more likely to find a running back in the middle of the draft that works out than specifically you, one of the 32. Because I, I think that you are going to stumble into some guys that are found yes. in, the, in the middle of the draft, but that is not a way to plan. And if there is a running back that you like and you feel like he is worthy of a first-round pick, I don't think you should be entirely scared away from it. Yes, we have seen some bad ones in the past, but it's been a while since we have seen someone completely flame out in the first, like Trent Richardson. We have seen contributors. And my take on first-round running backs is if you draft a running back in the first round, okay, maybe it's not going to change your franchise, but the odds of you completely busting on that pick, I think it's lower at running back than in any other position. And I'll just go back from 2015. Here are the first-round running backs that have been taken. Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, 
and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and of course we had Rashad Penny and uh, Sony Michelle. In addition, uh, Saquon Barkley's on that list too. Right. I, I, I think I think I said his name. Um, and then this year we'll see what happens. But Travis Etienne, of course, getting injured right away Out for the year. That that is not a good start, obviously. But that's not a great. I mean, are are all of those guys among the best backs in the league? It's not for the for the percentage because. A productive running back gets opportunities. If you're a first-round running back, you're going to get more chances, right? I don't think Leonard Fournette was a good running back. I, I, I don't think he was a good running back at all. Uh, and won I the think Bucks that, the Super Bowl with the way that he ran. I mean, he was a part yeah, of that. Yeah, but that's after the team that, that drafted him let him go. I, I, I don't he was think that— saddled with Blake Bortles, though. I don't think that Leonard Fournette is a good running back. And I think that he is the example of he gets a lot of yards because he got a lot of opportunities. And I think that the Bucks could have found any one of about 25 guys that could have done what Leonard Fournette did last year in the playoffs. 25 available to yep. them midway through the season? I don't know about 25. I, well, they're, they're, the, the number of guys that are his equivalent skill set in the league, is he was on waivers and nobody picked him up. I, I, I get that, but I don't think that has to do with his skill set as much as it's with his, does he have it between the ears? Is he the guy that actually cares about this in the way that he needs to? I think his talent has always been obvious. It's a matter of can you actually translate that on the field on a regular basis? He has had good moments in this league. Yes. I think he, he has, has had good moments in this league, but so has Chris Carson, and Chris Carson was a seventh round pick. And that's what I'm saying is picking a guy early and, and the number of guys that the best line who's the who's the best running back in the league right now? Is it Derrick Henry? Derrick Henry based off of what we have seen most recently. Was he first round pick? Derrick Henry second round pick. Second right? round pick, yes. Like I, I I think that drafting a running back in the first round, you end up putting so much into that at a position that is but, profoundly impacted by injuries and that there's not a lot of evidence that that, that, that transcendent back makes that big a difference. What happens if you're drafting at the back of the first round, though? I mean, Nick Chubb is a second-round pick. How much of a mm-hmm. difference between that second and first-round pick are we talking about when we get into the 20s and the 30s of the first round? That's where it starts to get strange. And I, I feel like if you are in one of those spots where you're – trying to maybe trade out of it, I, which I imagine Seattle probably thought about with that Rashad Penny pick before, right? Is, is that but something? Penny's a bad pick, right? Like, we can say it now in retrospect. I said it, I said it before going into the draft. I don't want him to draft a running back in the first round. They drafted a running back, and I'm saying, hey, I hope it works out for them. I wouldn't have done this. We're now entering his fourth season, and hey, maybe he's still got something left, but it was a bad pick. Isn't and he a Sony bad pick injury, got, though? Sony Michelle just got traded for a fifth and a sixth round pick. Like, was that a good use of a first round pick? And then Nick Chubb, if you group all of those guys together, that's one out of three. Well, if that's, you, that's terrible odds. If you compare to the rest of first round picks that play in the NFL, and I went back, I think it was before last year, and looked at like a four year sample size of first round picks. I mean, first round picks have their fifth year option picked up 61% of the time. Yep. That's, that's not very high. 40% end up getting long-term deals. Mm-hmm. Sony Michelle is someone who is now in a crowded Patriots backfield. They, I think, were okay with what they got out of him for four years. Definitely not thrilled to the point where they would have brought him back, but he was productive in specific spots for them. And I, I think if you're looking at first-round picks as the need to be a pro bowler or an all-pro, you're not going to get that very often. It's like 13% get a first-team all-pro, 15% get a second-team all-pro, and 39% get to at least one Pro Bowl, but we're talking like some of these guys are making it as special teams players, and they're only doing it one year. 
it's hard to find contributing players in the first round. The reason I don't mind drafting running backs in the first round is because I feel like more than in any other position, when you draft a running back early, that guy can likely contribute, and he's more likely to contribute than guys at other positions. I, I, I don't know that that means he's necessarily going to be better than them, but I feel like that player is going to give you three to four years where you're like, yep, I can hand the ball off to him, and assuming he can figure out pass protection, that guy's going to be a good part of this team. If you give me a choice between a running back drafted in the first round and a running back drafted in the fourth, the fifth, and the seventh, I take the latter every single time. Let those three guys compete. I'll see which one of them is the best. If you gave me those two just straight-up value options and a first-round pick is worth way more, is worth way more than the picks that I just laid out. Because if your first-round pick doesn't work out, that's all you get. You don't. I would rather have a battle of attrition. And the other thing we're not talking about here is the ceiling. What's the ceiling for a first-round running back? Because the ceiling for a left tackle, the ceiling for a wide receiver, the ceiling for a quarterback, like all of those are... The ceiling for a cornerback is so significantly higher than, than any of those things that I, I, would, I would always veer away toward choosing a running back but in the first round. But you can round. find, there are so many busts at cornerback in the first round that you'll find. And, and look, you swing, you roll the dice. I mean, you're not going to hit on every single pick, but you mentioned, okay, a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick at running back. We're talking about DJ Dallas and Travis Homer here. Now, maybe DJ Dallas is going to give you something as a special teams player, but that's what it looks like his role is at this point in time. And yep. Travis Homer is, okay, I guess he's good at pass protection. And uh-huh. What else? I don't and know. And then the seventh round pick is Chris Carson. Yeah, I'd rather take. I'd rather take door number. Th- you two. won the lottery with Chris Carson, who would have been a first round pick if he did not get injured. He was going to Georgia. Every running back at Georgia ends up being a top three pick. Top three seventh round, round pick. pick. Yes, seventh round pick. He busted his knee and he went to a pass heavy offense at Oklahoma State. Yes, because he ended up going to a situation where he was not given the ball. As you got him in the seventh to. round. You got him in the seventh round. I'd just, rather have someone win that competition. Lap. You know what? I'm going to draft the quarterback in the sixth round because Tom Brady, he, you know what? The Patriots got him in the sixth round. I'm going to find him there. You know, I'm going to draft the quarterback in the third round because Russell Wilson, he fell there. You are you are playing the lottery, and just because of one one player getting drafted in the seventh round, like, or do, you, do you really feel like that's going to happen more often than not? I, I, sometimes if you see a guy at the back of the first round, you like him. I, I say pull the trigger on that guy. Yeah, and you did with Rashad Penny, and how'd that work out? We'll see. I think it still remains to be seen. Now, I'm not feeling great about it, but if not for that injury, Danny, aren't we having a totally different conversation about him? Maybe. Isn't injury part of the conversation? I, I guess. Isn't injury part of the conversation specifically at running back? But it's a part of every position, too. I, 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 More I, so running back. Isn't Travis Etienne out for the year? Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Look, he had, he had the, the, the second-to-last game. Was the third-to-last game? That game he had against the Philadelphia Eagles. It looked like it was going to turn into something big. Obviously, the injury happened, and here we have this conversation. It's Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. Texted 710-710. Do or don't draft running backs in the first round. Coming up next, Danny is pulling for this guy more than anybody else on the Seattle Mariners. He will explain why next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Yeah, Danny. Use an off first round pick on an offensive tackle like James Carpenter, like Jermaine Effetti, because those worked out so well. You are going to miss on a lot of first round picks. That's true. That is that 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 is part of the reality that people don't admit. I'd rather miss with a high ceiling, though. I'd rather miss when it's like I understand. And and look, I I think I think uh, 
missing with a high floor, <laughs> that's that's not the worst thing in the there's world, so, too. There's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for, hey, this guy's going to be a productive component rather than someone like Aaron Curry, who you end up yeah. feeling like, we really can't have this guy on the field. And that's the other thing that throws the wrench in it, too, because the first half of the first round and the second half, second half of the first round, it's like they're two completely different rounds. They should be valued entirely differently. Right. Like, the, the value of a late first-round pick is equivalent to a second-round pick. Like, yeah. the difference there. And a top-15 pick is significantly different. I agree with you there. It is Danny and Gallant. Our, our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We'll bring in Michael Bumpus at the top of the hour, maybe ask him about running backs. There's one guy on the Mariners, though, who return home. They have an off day today, and then they'll be hosting the Kansas City Royals. That includes, they got a... a uh, a Saturday matinee, right? 105 first pitch, uh, Mariner Moose Funko Pop giveaway, which is pretty cool. Ooh, I love Funko Pops. Uh, uh, there's one guy on the Mariners that I find myself rooting for every time he's at the plate. It's Jared Kelnick. Like, every time he gets up, I find myself kind of sitting up and, uh, all right, let's go, Jared. This is the and moment. Like, like, really like a visceral, like, come on, come on, get hot. You got it in you. And, and I'm not entirely sure why. I'm not a fan that 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 fixates on prospects above all else. I feel like I have fairly reasonable sort of understanding of, of baseball development and the uncertainty of that. Yet, I, he is the guy that more than any other, and I don't even know if it's because I like him as a player more, I just want him to be great. I, and I want him to be great as soon as possible. It's weird. But you need him to be great, and I think that's part of it. You need yeah. him to be... At the very least, all-star caliber. Otherwise, you you don't feel like this is going to turn into the potentially special foundation that it could be. And so I think that's part of it. And, of course, when you see him in, in crunch time situations especially, you really want him to deliver there because that, you would think, would give him more confidence and, in turn, give... I would imagine us a much more entertaining Jared Kelnick on a game-to-game basis if he starts to get a little cocky out there. Well, he had an effective day yesterday. Let's go early in the game. Uh, He had an RBI single that he drove through the infield. Here that hit is. Paul Irvin ready from the stretch, delivers. Swing and a ground ball to the right side. Gets on through for a base hit. Here comes Trends on to score. 1-1 tie. Down to second, Murphy on an RBI single by Jared Kelnick. And the Mariners tie the game at one apiece. And then with a little bit of pop later in the game when the Mariners kind of hold into that 3-1 lead and it's looking to get a little dicey and all of a sudden you get a little cushion thanks to Kelnick. Here's the set and the 0-1 pitch. Swing and a fly ball into deep right center field. This one is going to be beyond the reach of Canna. On the one he tracked it off the wall. Rounding third, heading home. Murphy will score. In at second goes Jared Kelnick with an RBI double. The Mariners add on. Here in the top of the eighth inning, it's now the Mariners four and the A's one. Here's a weird thing I want. I want more of those and less home runs from him because I feel like doubles and being able to just spray the ball all over the place as opposed to just clubbing it out of the yard, that is a skill that a power hitter can have where he doesn't necessarily need to say he sees a pitch that he likes, but it's not exactly in the wheelhouse, if you will. Can you do that? Can you get a ball into the right spot in the outfield? Honestly, that should be part of Kelnick's profile because Kelnick is not is not a pure power hitter. And today's today's game has changed this. Like, if you're a pure power hitter, you're like, okay, you got to come up and you got to hit forty to forty five home runs. Like, that's if that's what you're telling me, you and you're going to strike out a ton and all of this. That's that's the production that you got to put up. Kelnick is a gap to gap hitter. He should be a gap to gap hitter with good power. And 
one of the reasons that I think I find myself pulling so hard, because what you said about sort of the needing him to be good and it validating the rebuild and all of those different things, like if he's a star, what that says about it, it just provides uh, it's a significant feather in the cap of like anybody that's wondering about the direction or is this really the right direction to go? You're like, yeah, watch what that guy's going to do for the next five to six years. The other part is for more immediate returns, which is if the Mariners are going to make the playoffs this year, they're going to need some guys to get hot. Like they're they're going to need that to happen in the next month because you're you're going to have to outkick a couple of teams that honestly have better lineups than you do. And I look at Kelnick as the guy who has the highest ceiling. So I don't know if he's going to get there this year, and it's all the indications are he's still doing a lot of learning on the job. But there's that possibility of like, come on, Jared, just figure it out, just figure it out, and get on an unholy tear and just rip a swath through this league. So there's some profound self interest of if they're going to get there. I think him getting hot is one of the most likely routes. Yeah, you and you've been pushing that. There has to be someone who gets hot, and you believe it can happen too. So I think that's definitely got to be another reason that you are rooting for this to happen. I I think it's got to be someone. If I guess if, if if I'm picking one in this uh, race, I would be picking Mitch Haniger here because Haniger is the one that I think is capable of doing these things, and we just haven't really been seeing it of him of late. It's not to say that he hasn't done anything over the last couple of games, but Haniger is the one that I think at this point in time needs to be giving you more than what he's giving you. Three home runs on that that eight game road trip. Uh, Jared Kelnick who snapped an O for twenty. Slump on Monday in in Oakland and then drove in a couple runs yesterday. It is Danny Gallant. We'll get Michael Bumpus in here next to us. That's coming up next.